Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Hey. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How was your week? Fine. Fine? Just fine. Just fine. I'm not mad at all. Good. Why would you be? Yep. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're actually not mad. I don't know why we're doing that bit, but but yeah, no, I mean, I feel like there's not too much going on. I got my phone stolen. That shit sucks. Pickpocketed. Pick straight pocketed. out of the butt pocket. Yeah, that sucks. But, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> I honestly would feel really really dumb talking about how hard my life is and then going into the story that i'm going to talk about today which you i'm sure already know what it is because you saw you saw the title we're going to be talking about elizabeth smart today this is a gigantic story uh this is going to be part one of said gigantic story and this is highly highly requested for a reason so yeah i don't know what do you have any news to to talk about before we jump in or should we just get the ball rolling uh no no news i was just saying like i know that some people don't like when we split it up into two parts but we tried it's too big (laughs) well yeah no i i uh i don't think anyone like expressed any like disinterest in in a two-parter i just i feel like i don't like waiting for two parts like i i like when it's all in one part and i really wanted to do this in in one part but it is such a gigantic story that we would be sitting here for like three hours if we did one part so i was like you know what we'll just do two and it'll be fine (laughs) all right yeah let's jump in yeah for sure so friends we're gonna be talking about elizabeth smart today buckle up because if you don't know this story, you're going to learn today, number one. But number two, if you do know the story, I mean, stick around. You know what I mean? Maybe I'll tell you something <laughs> you didn't know. I don't know. But um, so let's, let's just jump in. So Elizabeth Smart was born on November 3rd, 1987. And she was the second child of Edward and Lois Smart. And they had six kids in their family, four boys and two girls. They were a devoutly Mormon family and had kind of a picture-perfect life. They lived in an upscale neighborhood in a very big house in Salt Lake City, Utah. And Elizabeth was described as a very normal young girl. She was very well-behaved. She loved playing with dolls and playing with her friends. And she also played the harp and was actually really good at it. And she would spend hours of her time practicing the harp just for fun. And Elizabeth said that she grew up as the happily ever after little girl. She was looking forward to growing up and finding, you know, her perfect husband and continuing to just live this dream life that she had always had. And at this point, Elizabeth was in middle school, but was soon going into high school and was definitely looking forward to it. She would have, you know, a little bit more freedom, maybe have a boyfriend, you know, just a very exciting time in life. But also, being in a Mormon household, family values were very important to them, and many Mormons live a very strict lifestyle, which means no drinking, no smoking, no drugs, and no sex before marriage. And Elizabeth fully subscribed to all of that, as well as her family, and she really enjoyed being a part of the church and had many friends within the church and also had a very close relationship with her parents. So everything was great for this family up until... 2002. And that year, her family found out that their grandfather, Lois's father, I believe, had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And it was a really terrible, super aggressive brain tumor. And her grandfather actually ended up passing away only two months after the diagnosis, which is just so, so sad. That's so quick. Yeah, it was extremely quick, extremely aggressive. And it's just a whole whirlwind for this family. Um, His funeral was on June 3rd of 2002, and the Smart family was obviously devastated and exhausted from everything, but the following day, Elizabeth had an award ceremony at the middle school because it was the end of the school year. Even though his funeral was the day before, they decided Elizabeth would still attend the award ceremony, not only because she was going to win a couple of awards, but also her principal asked her to play the harp at the ceremony, which was a big deal for Elizabeth, and she really wanted to do that. So Elizabeth's mother tried to have as normal of an evening for them as possible, but she and Edward were so exhausted from, you know, the high emotions after the funeral only the day before 
And so her mother made them dinner, as she did, and they were kind of running around trying to get out the door in time for the ceremony and get Elizabeth's harp into the car because, you know, when you play a harp, you have to transport it places. It's big. It's a big instrument. But as all this was happening, she ended up burning the potatoes that she was cooking and there was a lot of smoke in the kitchen. So Lois decided to crack the window to let the smoke out before they left. No. Yeah. So don't tell me that detail comes back to bite. Well, would I include it if it didn't? Um, So they still had their dinner and they made it to the ceremony only slightly late. Everything went well for Elizabeth that, that evening. She won several awards for academics and physical fitness and she played her harp. And when they returned home, Elizabeth and her sister, Mary Catherine, went up to their room to start getting ready for bed and continue reading Ella Enchanted, which, if you don't know, is a book about a 14-year-old girl who is cursed to follow through on any commands that she's given, which is very ironic in this story. We will come to find out. That's just an interesting little tidbit. But they were reading this book together at the time, and Elizabeth was 14 years old at this point, and Mary Catherine was nine. So after reading, Elizabeth and Mary Catherine went to sleep that night in the same bed, because I, I believe either they shared a room or Mary Catherine just fell asleep in Elizabeth's bed. Either way, they were in the same bed that night. And at around two in the morning, Elizabeth was woken up by a man standing over her with a knife to her neck. And he said, don't make a sound, get up and come with me or I will kill you and I will kill your family. I have a knife at your neck, get out of bed now or I'll kill your sister. At first, she almost thought that this was a dream and couldn't figure out if this was actually happening or not. And once she finally realized that she was awake, all of this adrenaline hit her all at once and she was immediately wide awake and got up. She knew that there was a really good chance that he would hurt Mary Catherine if she was awake, so she just prayed that Mary Catherine would stay asleep. But actually, Mary Catherine was awake, and she saw all of this happening, but she didn't move and she didn't make a sound. My god, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, she's nine years old. She's nine. Yeah, and so this whole time, Elizabeth is thinking to herself, what if I don't do what he says? He might kill my family, or he could hurt my sister or take her, so I have to go. And the man now had the knife to Elizabeth's side as he dragged her into her closet where he told her to grab her sneakers. And he then led her down the stairs of her family home, the whole time telling her if she made a sound, he'd kill her and her whole family. So Mary Catherine is just laying in bed listening to all this happening around her house. And she knew where they were in the house at each different moment because, you know, each house has its own unique set of squeaks and like you can kind of tell where people are. So she knew where they were and, you know, when they left pretty much. And so she wanted to get up and get her parents or just even scream, but she was so little and she was absolutely terrified. Um, And she even got out of her bed at one point, but she got too scared and got back into bed and waited for the house to become silent. So Elizabeth had been abducted by a man named Brian David Mitchell. And Brian was born in 1953 in Salt Lake City to Cheryl and Eileen Mitchell. He was also raised in a Mormon family and had five siblings, which was one of the reasons why he was actually interested in the smart family to begin with. He wanted to kidnap someone in the Mormon faith so he could understand their mindset and he could more easily manipulate them and he could use their beliefs and their fears against them. And his father, Cheryl, was a social worker, but he was a horrible father. He taught Brian all about sex when he was only eight years old and forced him to look at photos in a bunch of medical journals, which really messed him up. And he would also do this thing where he would drop Brian off in the middle of nowhere and make him find his way home, no matter how long it took. And when Brian was 16, he completely exposed himself to an eight-year-old girl and asked her to touch him. He did end up getting some time for this, but since he was only 16, it was, you know, juvenile, so he just went to juvie. And when he got out of juvie at the age of 19, he actually ended up getting married. He married a 16-year-old named Karen Minor, and they had two children together. Emphasis on Minor. So the two of them didn't care about their kids at all. And they would completely neglect their children and get drunk and high and pretty much just act like they didn't even have kids. And they did end up getting a divorce not too long into their marriage. And on the day of their custody hearing, because they were, you know, fighting over the children at this point, Brian ended up kidnapping their children and took them to New Hampshire and stayed there in a commune for two years. For two years they couldn't find him? I think so, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. It was a Hare Krishna commune, and they provided Brian and his kids with food and somewhere to stay. After this, Karen Miner was awarded custody of her children, you know, once they got back, because eventually Brian did decide to go back to Salt Lake City and stay with his brother, who was still a huge part of the Mormon faith. And he helped Brian to, you know, get clean and brought him back into the church and gave his family a place to stay. And, you know, Brian just started putting on this big act, like he was going to change his life around. But not long after that, he ended up meeting his second wife, Debbie. And Debbie already had three children, so between the two of them, they had five kids. I'm sorry, did he not get any time for kidnapping his children? I guess not. So this marriage didn't last very long either, and when Debbie left him, she said that he was very inappropriate with her three-year-old son, and that he was extremely abusive to her as well. So thinking that this would save his marriage, he basically decided to put his two kids with Karen in foster care, in an effort to, you know, kind of get rid of the baggage. He was like, okay, like, I'll just get rid of my kids and I'll just focus on you and your kids. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine that would fuck your kids up in any way. No, definitely not. Completely healthy behavior. <laughs> Brian David Mitchell's children have being messed up? What? <laughs> Don't like your current family? Dump them for a new one. <laughs> Literally. This is exactly what he did. Yes, it is. And surprisingly, this didn't work, and Debbie still ended up filing for divorce in 1984. It also came out that one of Debbie's daughters also had been assaulted by Brian for years. Oh, fucking disgusting. Yeah. So, terrible person. And after the divorce was finalized, Brian bounced back pretty quick and started a relationship with a woman named Wanda Barzi. And Wanda was 40 years old and had six kids. Her kids say that she was also an incredibly evil person, aka perfect for Brian. She was also abusive and other than their shitty parenting, Wanda and Brian were also both part of the LDS church, which is the Latter-day Saints. But Brian was next level. He thought that he was a prophet and he was, he thought that he was a prophet and he was talking to God and thinking that he was here to save the planet. So he had this whole spiritual awakening and starts calling himself Emmanuel. And he decides to give his, his wife, Wanda, the name Hepzibah. So he brought this up with people at the church and he's like, Hey guys, I'm the chosen one and I'm going to speak to God and you should listen to me. And they were like, no. <laughs> so he was kicked out of the church and he took Wanda with him and they're like, sick, take her with you. Get out of here. So <laughs> this is when he really lost it. And now he wore white robes around everywhere and he grew out his beard to look like Jesus. So he's, he's got like the long brown hair, the long brown beard and like white robes. Okay. So he's really just full send. He's full send, full Jesus. You know what I mean? And he and Wanda would spend their days panhandling and screaming out Bible verses at people. So not terrifying at all. And he... Wait, so are they like those people who will go to like a college campus and then just like scream at people? Yeah. With signs? Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that kind of shit. And he also wrote a 27-page manuscript and would try to force people to read it. Is it a manifesto? I mean, yeah, like, I don't yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, even his own mother had to get a restraining order against Brian. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's how you know. That's yeah, maybe, maybe that you've lost it. One way to know, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and so the only person who ever entertained Brian was Wanda and they were perfect for each other or terrible for Perfectly each other. Perfectly horrible. <laughs> Perfectly horrible for each other. So let's go back to Elizabeth. So Brian walked Elizabeth down the stairs of her family home and out the back kitchen door. And once they were outside, he told her to put her shoes on. So Elizabeth's heart is absolutely pounding out of her chest at this point, And she realized, oh my God, this is actually happening to me. I'm being kidnapped. But after she gets on her shoes, he continues to force her up the this hill in the, in her backyard, like behind her house. And he walks her directly into the woods still with the knife on her back. And they walked through the brush for a couple of minutes until they came upon a road. And as they were coming up to the side of the road, they saw some headlights approaching and it was actually a cop car. No. Yeah, so Elizabeth is thinking, thank God I'm gonna be saved. And she wanted to scream for help, but right then he pushed her to the ground and 
lays pretty much on top of her and again tells her that he's gonna kill her if she makes a sound. So Elizabeth said she could tell Brian was extremely nervous during this moment and he was holding his breath waiting for the car to pass and actually said out loud, quote, if this work is true, God, let this car pass. And unfortunately, it did drive past. And after that, they get up and they cross the road and run into the woods on the other side of the road and they keep walking deeper and deeper in and then starting to hike literally up a mountain. Wait, so they were in the woods though when the cop passed? They weren't yeah. just on this? Okay. Yeah, so it's like there's a road and either side kind of had like woods. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, no, I was just like imagining like a sidewalk. No, and it was then the like, cop, like driving past. No, it was it. like brush. Yeah. Cool. So the whole time she was thinking about running, but he was always right behind her and had the knife on her. And he always made sure that he was below her on this hike so that she couldn't run back down the mountain. And also it was steep and covered in brush. Uh, so running upward away from him wasn't really an option either. And Elizabeth is asking him, why are you doing this? Are you going to kill me? But every time she tries to talk, he tells her if she doesn't stop, he'll go back and kill her entire family and then their blood will be on her hands. And as they were walking up this mountain, Elizabeth started thinking about all the children that had been abducted that she had seen on the news and how it almost always led to police finding just remains. And she knew that her chances of being rescued was already slim. So she actually stopped him and asked, can you just rape and kill me and get it over with so my parents can know what happened to me? She just wanted her parents to find her, even if it was just her body. Oh so, my God. Yeah, some heavy shit. That's where she was at. Mm-hmm. She's terrified. She's absolutely I terrified. I can't believe that that's what she asked him to do. A 14-year-old girl. A 14-year-old. Yeah. So Elizabeth said he just had this terrible smile, and he said, I'm not going to rape and murder you yet. That's what he said to her. This is like John Wayne Gacy type behavior. Kind? Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. Like, because I remember... Like clown, you mean? Because <laughs> I remember one of his victims was like, can you just fucking kill me? And I don't remember, but I he believe He was like, it. I'm getting to it. He Shit. said something like that. Yeah. That's so scary. <laughs> Goddamn. But at this point, they had veered off from the trail and they were now walking through parts of the woods that just didn't have a clear path. But Elizabeth is still trying to think of ways to get herself out of this situation. She started by telling him that her parents would pay anything to get her back. But when that didn't work, she told him, you know you're never gonna get away with this. They'll find me and they'll put you in prison forever. Is that what you want? If you let me go now, my family won't press charges. But his response to that was giving her the same awful smile and saying, I know exactly what I'm doing and I know what the consequences are. The only difference is I'm not going to get caught. So he's very, very confident and he's a lunatic. Yeah, and like you can also tell that he's planned this out pretty extensively. Oh yeah, yeah, this is a very planned kidnapping. So meanwhile, Mary Catherine, who is still at home in bed, is petrified and finally works up the courage to go tell her parents what happened. And Mary Catherine made it to her parents' bedroom and over to her mother's side of the bed and said, Mom, somebody's taken Elizabeth. At first, her parents thought she was just having a bad dream, so Mary Catherine stayed in her parents' room while her mother and father got up to check each room for Elizabeth. And as her father checked every room, oh no, her mother stayed in the bedroom with Mary Catherine as her father got up and like checked everywhere. So as he was checking every room, both upstairs and downstairs, he's going around the entire house, he's waking everybody up, and it became more and more clear that Elizabeth was actually gone. And things really erupted when Lois, Elizabeth's mother, came downstairs and turned on the lights in their kitchen to find the window that she had left open and the screen had been cut. So now they know that Elizabeth is actually gone. And Lois fell to the ground and just started screaming. Elizabeth's brother said that it was the worst sound that he had ever heard in his life. And that's when Edward and Lois Smart called 911. It was about 4 a.m. So by 5 a.m., they start calling all of their other family members and they had a lot of family in Utah and they wanted all of them to come over and start looking for her. The police finally arrived, but since it was so late at night, it was pretty much the graveyard shift, and the police officers on duty were the very new young members of the force who didn't really know how to properly handle a crime scene, and the police never sealed the smart home as a crime scene. So they were letting family stay in the house, people kept coming in and out, 
They were walking all over the house, completely destroying any possible evidence. Nothing was taped off and they didn't keep a log of who was coming and going. So this is just, there's nothing, no, no structure at all, but not long. How did they not know that? I don't know. Like how, like if you're a cop, you should be trained. Like you should know that if you're on duty, period. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I get like, if you're new and whatever, like you don't know all of the protocols, whatever, you don't follow it all perfectly, but like you should know basic shit. Like I'm not trained in anything and I know that you're not supposed to tamper with a freaking crime scene. Come on. That's crazy. Yeah. So not long after everyone arrived, the whole neighborhood was out looking for Elizabeth driving the streets and just searching anywhere they could. At around 6 a.m. when a more experienced police officer finally did get there, they were like, what the hell is going on? They said that they had never seen a crime scene that had been more contaminated and it was contaminated beyond all hope. The house should have been sealed and there was literally nothing that they had to work off of. The only thing they had was the fact that Mary Catherine was awake. So they started asking her questions. And since they had so little to go off of, the police thought that it was possible that it could have been a family member. They thought maybe it was a murder cover-up, kind of like a like a John Benet Ramsey situation. I do not know what that is. You don't know who John Benet Ramsey is? No, you're like saying it like he's a celebrity. He, sir, John Benet is a is a girl who was murdered. She, okay. Yes. Wow. What? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, See, we got a lot to talk. I really about. don't know. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about if you don't know who that is. Okay. Anyway, so they brought every member of the family down to the police station, all in separate cars to be interviewed. And at the police station, they separated them again, which really pissed off the family because they're like, you are wasting so much time right now trying to separate us and like question us right now when you should be out looking for my daughter. And they also brought a cadaver dog back to the house, but nothing came of that either. So there was no reason why they should be treating the family like the main suspects right now, especially when there's like, whatever. Anyway, it just wasn't handled. It wasn't handled properly. It's frustrating. So I get it. But I mean, if you have nothing else to go on and like most kidnapping and like murder situations are usually the family. I don't know that that's a I'm true sure statistic. It's statistically Is it? true that like you're more likely to be murdered by a family member. By someone you know, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could see that. But but also there's statistics that's like in the first three hours of being like a, ki- a child being kidnapped, 65% of them are dead after the first three hours. And after the first like 24 hours, it's even more terrible. Yeah. Like you shouldn't only be questioning them. No, that's yeah, exactly. So the family was understandably very angry because they're like, you need to be doing more than just splitting us up and using all of your manpower to separate me from my nine-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, this is crazy. It's crazy. They had been through hell and back in just a few hours and now they're all separated. And this was extremely hard for nine-year-old Mary Catherine. But when she was questioned, she actually was able to give the police a lot of information because she remembered a lot, which is good. She told them, It was a white man about the height of her brother, who was about five feet, eight inches. Uh, He was about 30 to 40 years old, wearing a light colored clothes uh, and a golf hat. He had dark hair and also dark hair on his arms and the backs of the hands, backs of his hands. And she heard Elizabeth ask, why are you doing this? And she thought the answer was not clear and thought it could have been for ransom. Um, She also said that he was soft-spoken, even polite and calm. And she said that the voice somehow seemed familiar, but she couldn't pinpoint where she had heard it before. Let's go back to Elizabeth. At around 6.30, the sun was starting to come up and they were still hiking up this mountain. And Elizabeth was wearing bright red pajamas and she could tell that as time went on, Brian was getting more and more anxious that someone would be able to spot them. He told her that she was like a bright red flame, so they needed to run across the top of the mountain so no early morning runners would spot them. And as the sun was coming up, she got a better look at Brian and realized that she knew who this man was. Seven months earlier, Elizabeth and her siblings and their mother were downtown going clothes shopping for, I think, just school. And they came across this guy who was begging for work. 
and her mother gave him a $5 bill. And he was clean shaven at this point, um, so he hadn't gone full Jesus yet. And Elizabeth said that she remembered him being very friendly and having a very calm voice. And he told Elizabeth's mother that his name was Emmanuel. Elizabeth's mother ended up chatting with him for a little while and actually gave him her husband's phone number and said to give him a call since they might need some help around their house. She was just trying to help out this guy in need by giving him a job, but she let Brian David Mitchell into her home unknowingly. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know who he was, but she was just trying to help out a guy in need, you know what I mean? This really pisses me off when people play on the good nature I know. of other people. Yeah, it's super fucked up. So Edward Smart did end up hiring him and he came to do some work on their house a couple of times, uh, cutting down some trees. So the family knew this man. I mean, not well, but he told her that as soon as he had seen her with her mother, he knew that Elizabeth was the girl that he was going to kidnap. So this was seven months in the making. Brian told Elizabeth that his wife was waiting for them. So now Elizabeth is thinking to herself, okay, maybe he's not going to kill me. Maybe it's just a couple who wants me to be their kid or something. Maybe they can't have kids and they're just like crazy people who want a child. Yeah, that's logical. I can't think of anything else either. So she's just trying to grasp at straws here. She's like any hope. I need it. And after walking fucking forever, they finally stop at a campsite with tarps on the ground and a big old tent in the middle of the woods. And Brian calls out, Hepzibah. And that's when Wanda Barzi opens the tent and comes out wearing what looks like a white religious robe. And she looks at Elizabeth and gasps and then stares at her for a moment and embraces her. And Elizabeth recalled that this moment wasn't a comforting hug. It was really hard and and more controlling. And she said it felt like she was trying to tell Elizabeth that if she ever tried anything, she'd be sorry. So it wasn't like a welcome. It was like, I own you kind of thing. So Wanda then pushes Elizabeth into the tent, sits her down on an upturned bucket and starts washing her feet and tells Elizabeth to take off her pajamas and her underwear and put on a white robe. Elizabeth refused because she's 14 years old and she's terrified. But Wanda said that if she didn't, she would have Brian come over and rip her pajamas off. But Wanda kind of just gave up and told her that she could put on the robe and take her pajamas off underneath the robe. So that's what she did. And she was absolutely terrified. Wanda then left her in the tent. And not long after that, Brian came into the tent and started performing a marriage ceremony. Elizabeth was just sitting there sobbing, but Brian said that she was now his wife in the eyes of the Lord and they needed to consummate their marriage. And after that, Brian raped Elizabeth. And I'm not going to mention every other time that this happened to Elizabeth, but it happened every single day of her captivity. After that, Elizabeth felt absolutely broken. He left her in the tent and she thought about how she just wished that she wasn't alive. This was especially difficult for her because of how religious she was and how important her virginity was in her faith. She felt like she wasn't even a person anymore. And she laid there for a little while and came to the conclusion that she was going to run. As soon as she had the opportunity, she was gonna get out of there. But she knew that she had just hiked up a mountain for hours and needed some rest if she was going to be able to get away. So she decided to sleep and make a run for it in the morning. The plan was as soon as she woke up, she would just dart. But when Elizabeth woke up, Brian was in front of her and he connected a metal cable to her ankle that was tied around a tree. She begged him not to put that on and promised him that she wouldn't run, but he said, I know you won't, this is just in case. So Elizabeth, who was still sitting in the tent and at this point by herself, saw her red pajama top and remembered that she had a safety pin in her shirt. So she took off the safety pin and attempted to try to stick it in to the metal cable to try to get it off of her, but it didn't work. That safety pin was the only thing that she had from home, but she said that it was a reminder that she still had people out there who loved her. And so she pinned it to the inside of her sleeve on the white robe that she was forced to wear and kept it with her at all times. So now she could only move 20 feet in any direction because of this metal cable. So when Elizabeth emerged from the tent and saw how well this campsite was actually set up, she realized that it wasn't made to just kill her. She knew that she would be there for a very long time. And the first day at the camp, Elizabeth recalls crying nonstop. Wanda Barzi told her that she should be happy because it was her wedding day, but she would just continue to cry for a long time after that. Shut the fuck up, Wanda. (laughs) Yeah. Not now. No, Wanda Barzi is an evil, evil person. I can tell. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And this camp, I mean, to kind of better describe this camp, it's like basically just a big tent in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere with like a tarp on the outside and like buckets and like things to keep water and, and food and stuff. But, you know, the metal cable was tied around this really big tree and it was connected to her ankle. So she could move like 20 feet in any direction around this tree, but pretty much she could only be in like the center of this campsite, which was a tent and a tarp. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay, great. It quickly became very clear that Brian was the master and she was the slave. And Brian told Elizabeth that she was his wife now, which meant that she was here to do anything that he wanted her to do. And when she said, I'm not your wife, he told her that she was and they consummated their marriage. So now no one would ever love her. So he would do this thing where he would, you know, scare her because of her faith. He knew exactly what would get to her and he used it against her. It just sucks. But (laughs) like, I don't know what else to say. What is there to say about that? Like what he's doing is horrific enough, but this like extra level of manipulation, manipulation that he knows specifically uh, what to do and say is just evil. I don't even know. Yeah, it's terrible. So Brian, who called himself Emmanuel and Wanda, he called Hepzibah, began calling Elizabeth Sheer Jashub. And Elizabeth, who is still shaking like a leaf at this point, tells Brian that her name is Elizabeth. And this makes Brian extremely angry. And he tells her that she isn't allowed to say her name or talk about her family ever again, or he'll kill her and her family. This is, he just kept saying this over and over. And this is, he's going to continue to say this over and over. But this was a very constant threat. And it, it is a very real threat to Elizabeth because she wholeheartedly believes that he will kill her and her family. So we're going to keep talking about it. She convinces Brian that Sheer Jashub is a boy's name and she wants to pick her own name. Um, And he agrees as long as it's from the Old Testament. So she flips through the Bible and sees the book of Esther and she chooses the name Esther. And Elizabeth chose that name because she said in the end, Esther won. She outsmarted the king and she didn't use a sword. She used different weapons just as I would. And I don't really know the story of Esther or really Bible stories, but that was very significant for her. And I love that, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I mean, at least she got this like one thing she could have a modicum of control over. Yeah, yeah. So that was important to her and she got that. So that's good. Meanwhile, her parents were absolutely losing their minds at home. After being cleared by the police, the family went directly to the media to spread awareness. And the media ate this shit up because she was a young white girl from a well-off family who was abducted out of her bed. So needless to say, this got a lot of media attention. And her photo was all over the news and they were covering it constantly by, you know, the local news. So by the next day, pretty much the entire community knew about Elizabeth's abduction. Her mother was barely hanging on and neither of her parents were sleeping and they were both just crying so much that they could barely even see. And Lois said that she tried to hold it together during the day for her other kids, but at night she would just break down. And Edward and Lois were told that at this point it was crucial for them to make a public statement and try to appeal to the community to try to get people to join in the search effort. So Ed's brother, Tom, was a news photographer, so he helped a lot in organizing the media attention and he wanted to put her picture out there so everyone could see her. And the police even made them wait three hours before they could put out any alerts or photos of Elizabeth, which is absolutely insane because like I said earlier, 65% of children who are abducted are killed within the first three hours. And this was precious time that the police were pretty much wasting. And do they give a reason? Like, I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't really, like why would you put a hold on it for three hours? It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me either. I think they were trying to think like, oh, we're going to, clear the family before we start putting it out there that it's you know an abduction and not like a murder i guess was there i don't know i guess so but this so this is after they questioned all of them though yeah but i guess they were still concerned that the family were a part of it that doesn't make any sense because Mm -mm. the family already knows what the fuck she looks like well yeah (laughs) that's true yeah no it doesn't make any sense and then is this like the day after that they after she's been abducted or is this like it's like the morning after oh okay so you know she was abducted at 4 a.m so it's now it's like the next morning okay so by that first morning there were thousands of people who came out to offer their support in the search even the neighborhood kids made posters and did what they felt that they could do they had over ten thousand people who came out to help 
Elizabeth's parents decided that one parent would be at home during all the media stuff to take care of the family, and the other parent would take care of the press conferences and keeping Elizabeth's face out there. So Edward Smart would be, you know, in the media giving interviews and doing all that stuff while Lois would take care of the rest of her family. However, after three days of nonstop searching and press, Edward had a nervous breakdown one night uh, to the point where he needed to be hospitalized and sedated. He was supposed to do another press conference the next day, but his brother Tom had to take that over for him and inform the media that Ed was in the hospital because he hadn't slept in days. And after the de- that day in the hospital, Edward knew that he needed to get back up and keep going for his family and for Elizabeth, and that's exactly what he did. So this family is going through the ringer. They are losing their minds. Oh man, but back to Elizabeth. So on day three at the camp, Elizabeth decided that she would try to appeal to Brian and Wanda and make them believe that she was happy being there. So she started to try to help them around the campsite and she offered to help Wanda with meal prep that she was doing. And Elizabeth said that she wanted to do this because if people like you, it makes it a lot harder for them to kill you. Yeah, I don't know. This seems to be like, I don't know. I feel so weird saying like a common thing. That it is like a running theme. Did, but it, yeah. it is to like humanize yourself, just like pretend and act mm-hmm. like you are okay with the situation to get them to let their guard down. Yeah, and Elizabeth is really good at it. And I mean, it, it takes a while, but she, she gets there. We're gonna, we're gonna get there, I promise. But when Elizabeth sat down with Wanda to help her, Wanda became really irritated because she told Elizabeth that it was her job as first wife to prepare the meals. Elizabeth told Wanda she didn't want to be first wife. She just thought she should help, but that she wouldn't help if that's what Wanda wanted. Because Wanda's just like a really, really angry person. We're going to find out later as we go along. Yeah, so she's like, I'm not trying to make you angry. I'm just trying to be wife number two, I guess. And Elizabeth said that Wanda Barzi was the scariest woman that she had ever met. Wanda was pure evil. And she even told Elizabeth about a time where she killed her own daughter's pet rabbit and fed it to her. She also loved participating in Elizabeth's abuse. Is She's terrible. She's absolutely horrendously scary. And yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. But as the three of them were sitting outside the tent saying grace before they ate that meal, Elizabeth heard a familiar voice calling out in the distance. It sounded like her uncle and she heard her name being called. So immediately Elizabeth got very excited because she's thinking, thank God they're going to find me. But Brian heard this too. And he grabbed the knife and put it on Elizabeth and told her that if she screamed out, he would kill her and anyone else who came into that camp. So she felt like she couldn't make a sound because she didn't want her uncle to be killed. All she could do was sit there and hope that he would make it all the way over there, but she didn't hear his voice call out after that. And they were so close, but they didn't find her. No, I hate this shit. Oh my god. I wonder... I was just like, just scream before he says anything. I mean, he's already threatened to kill her and her family so many times, so it's not like she didn't know. I can't help but like try and figure out retroactively how she could have gotten yeah there's saved uh, i don't know listen there's Is no... anyone else having this thought <laughs> yeah no i mean we all think about it but there's there's no possible way that we could sit no, here and be absolutely like not. she should have done this she should have done that because she did what she had to to survive yes and, and that's not what i'm saying no i know I'm just like i i don't know every time i just like want to figure out a way that we can of get out course, of this story of course <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's I feel like done. it's it's so it's so hard to hear a story like this because you're just like, I just wish you would have done this, like, uh, but like, there's you can't yeah. you can't even you can't, begin yeah. to say that because not only was she 14, but she you know she was terrified and you know yeah, clearly both of them are beyond unhinged. Yes, yeah. So like, he probably would have killed her and her uncle. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It probably was the right call. Like, I don't know. But, you know, Elizabeth had to keep up hope that the search would work and that someone would find them. She thought maybe a bloodhound would be able to follow their scent all the way up to their camp. There were also so many times when there would be helicopters searching that would be directly above the camp 
that was, you know, hidden in the woods. And the first time Elizabeth saw a helicopter literally like hovering above them, she tried jumping and screaming and waving her arms, but Brian basically tackled her into the tent and shoved her face down as they laid in the tent waiting for the helicopter to leave. And she kept waiting for the rescue team to just rappel down out of the helicopter and bust in and save her, but it never happened. And after a little bit of time, she stopped hearing helicopters altogether. Did they not see the campsite? Like, what's the deal No, here? if they did, they would have come down, wouldn't they? Well, I don't know. So maybe you'd be like, oh, somebody's camping in the woods. Yeah, but you got a missing child. You're not going to be like, oh, that's nothing. I don't know. Yeah. Apparently there was two rookies who didn't even seal the crime scene. So was it really that far-fetched? I guess. Not I mean, in my mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I, I'd like to believe like if they saw a tent, they'd repel down, but I, I don't know. But so... Elizabeth knew that her family loved her and was still out there looking for her, but after a week of being at the camp, she started to lose hope as she realized just how good Brian Mitchell was at hiding. And in the first few weeks of her captivity, Elizabeth had nothing to do other than sit there and listen to Brian Mitchell and Wanda Barzi talk nonstop. They'd talk all day long. Brian would talk about the Lord and how he was the chosen one and Wanda would just be angry and yell about things in the camp and how it wasn't clean or how the Lord was testing her. And Elizabeth thought that she would go absolutely crazy sitting there all day listening to them day in and day out, but she remembered home and it would keep her safe. And she also said that she forced herself to listen to them all day long because she knew that at some point they'd say something that she could use against them. Smart. Yeah, but if she mentioned home... Brian would absolutely lose his mind, and he told Elizabeth that they were family now, and if she keeps bringing up her past or, quote, denying her calling, that he'd go to their home and kill them all. She begged him not to, and she apologized, and that's when Brian said that he was just about to let her come to the stream with him to carry back some water, but now he's not so sure that she's ready. Because remember, she's still tethered to a tree. So now Elizabeth realized that she needed to give him exactly what he wanted if she ever had a chance of escaping. So she stopped resisting him and she made it very clear that she never ever had Stockholm Syndrome. She never sympathized. She never loved them. She hated them with everything in her being, but she stopped resisting to gain his trust. However, Wanda exploded one day after Brian had raped Elizabeth because she said that he never slept with her anymore. Ever since Elizabeth had come to the camp, Brian had never, quote, lie with her. So to appease Wanda, Brian said Wanda would be his during the day since she was bright like the sun, and Elizabeth would be his at night since she wasn't as bright as Wanda. So this is like, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's obviously crazy, but he's like, oh, I have a divine proclamation from the Lord. He's telling me that this is what it's going to be, which is fucking insane. But it, this was good for Elizabeth because now he at least wasn't going to rape her during the day. You know what I mean? At least she had some sort of peace. Like how bad of a place do you have to be in to be at least he doesn't rape me during the day? That that I just like the whole thing makes me nauseous. That's where she's at. Like this. I know. It's crazy. This is rough. Yes. Yes, it is. There was even one time Brian had taken Elizabeth away from the camp during the day and started undressing her. But Elizabeth reminded him of this divine proclamation and that God said that he could only be with Wanda during the day and her at night. And if he did anything further, then she'd have to tell Wanda as the mother of Zion, because that's what Wanda was. She was the mother of Zion. They have this completely made up religion that is insane, but she's learning. She's learning their religion and she's using it against them. So she's like, you can't have me during the day because that's not what God wants. And I have to tell her. So he he stopped and he didn't go further with that. So that's... Uh, yeah, but she's so smart for doing that. Yeah, extremely smart. At this point in the media coverage of Elizabeth's abduction, the news started to point the finger back at the Smart family. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not. Um, These people should eat shit and die. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not great. Um, the news started saying that it had been leaked that the screen on the window that had been cut was actually cut from the inside. And one of the family members had failed their polygraph test, which was technically true. Elizabeth's uncle, uh, his polygraph test had come back as inconclusive, but the police- That's who, not failure. 
it's not failure, one. And two, it's very normal in a high pressure situation like this, especially in child abduction, for a family member who maybe, let's say, feels guilty or feels like they could have done more to prevent it, like to have their polygraph come back as inconclusive. Like Also, polygraphs can't be used in court and no. are not scientific whatsoever. No, they're not. But, you know, to the news, it's like, oh, this is an inside job. It was cut from the inside. Her uncle failed her polygraph, their polygraph test. Oof. Like, yeah, it's... I'm not happy. No. I stand by my statement. 100%. Okay. okay. And the family was completely cooperative and gave over all of their computers and, you know, were very helpful to the cops in giving them as much information as possible because at the end of the day, if it kept Elizabeth's name in the news, it was in some ways helping them, you know? Wow. That's where they're at. So after clearing the family again, one of the FBI's first priorities in this case was getting a list of everyone who worked at the smart home. And Ed had around 60 contractors who had worked on his home. And Brian Mitchell, I believe, is included in that list because he was working at the house. But one of the men on the list of contractors that became a main suspect was a man named Richard Reesey. And he was a handyman in the house and he was familiar with the smart kids and also had a long history of drug abuse and was a career con and spent most of his adult life in jail, like more in jail than out of it. Wow, that's just so unfortunate that that was a guy who worked on their house. Yeah. Like if if he was like just a little less what he was. Criminal? Well, if he hadn't have had that history, like yeah. they wouldn't have wasted so much time looking into him. Yeah, but he was the number one suspect because he'd already had issues with the Smart family. He had, I believe, stole their belongings and jewelry at one point and was yeah. also believed to be dangerous because he robbed a pharmacy and then shot a cop in this like altercation. It's aligning. Like He fits like almost to a T. Yeah, he does. So that's why they spent so much time looking into him because they're like, he is our, you know, he's our best bet. So when they saw that not only was he out of jail at the time, but also working in the smart home, they were like, okay, this is our guy. And they had Reese take polygraph test, which he passed. And also his wife told investigators that that night he was asleep in bed next to her all night long. So he had an alibi and he had a past polygraph. I don't get what the obsession with the polygraph is. I mean, it's something, you know, it was, it was 2002. So they're like, what do we have? It doesn't work though. Well, they had no evidence. They had no, they didn't seal off the crime scene. They had nothing to go off of. I know, but you can't use it in court. I know, but it's somewhere to start, you know? I think you can still bring it up in court. Like, it's not something that can be, like, technically used as evidence, but I'm pretty sure you can be like, he failed his polygraph to the jury to sway them. You know what I mean? That's fucked, but whatever. Yeah. That's a separate issue. Well, whatever. But so, Reese is not looking like he's the guy, but they also are like, he's our guy. So, whatever. They also had no physical evidence linking him to breaking in that night, although that wasn't saying much because of how contaminated the crime scene was. Anyway, back to the camp. Brian would leave the camp to go back into town to steal things, and after one of these trips, about a month into Elizabeth's captivity, he brought back a missing person poster with her face on it, and he told her how proud it made him to know that he had the real thing, and he pulled out a bottle of wine to celebrate. Brian chose Elizabeth specifically because she was part of the LDS church and he knew how to manipulate someone with that belief system like we already talked about. So he would implement new punishments that specifically targeted her beliefs like drinking. And the first time Elizabeth said no to drink because of religious reasons. And she said that she promised herself that she would never drink, but he would tell her Christ sunk below all things. He was out amongst the sinners blessing them. Do you think you're better than Jesus was? But she still refused. And that's when Brian absolutely lost his mind mind and said if she didn't drink, he wouldn't give her any more food, any more water, and she wouldn't be allowed to sleep until she did. So she had no choice. And he handed her a cup of wine and she took a very small sip, but he told her, no, you have to drink the whole cup. And so he, she did. And then he'd pour her another cup and say, you have to drink this one as well. Elizabeth said that she never understood why people would want to get drunk, but after two cups of wine, she was numb and she understood. Drinking would become a regular thing at the camp and Elizabeth would participate not only because Brian would insist, but also it helped her to remove herself from her reality. So another thing about this camp, they were 
always thirsty and hungry because getting water was really difficult. It was kind of a dangerous hike to go to the stream that they would use to get water. And they only had food when Brian would go down into the city to beg or steal. But after that night of drinking wine, something happened that Elizabeth said that she believes was a miracle. And it was a very small miracle, but something that she can't explain. She woke up that night to the yellow solo cup in the tent that was sitting upright and it was full of water. She said she knows that they didn't have any water at the camp at that time. So she believed that this was a sign from God telling her to keep going. So she got like a a cup of water in the middle of the night and she's like, I believe that's a miracle. And if you don't believe me, that's fine. But I, you know, lived it. So chills. I know it's I I really love those little things in like survivor stories because there's a couple of them where it's like there's literally no explanation why this should have happened but it did and so here we are yeah Yeah, and like who's gonna be like that was it a miracle like shut the fuck up random atheist it is not the time okay sure (laughs) yes uh so almost all of the time brian would leave elizabeth on her chain but there were a few occasions where she was unchained And he took her off to hike and get water once. And although she felt like she would have been, she wouldn't have been able to outrun them. She did her best to really try to stamp her feet into the mud to leave as many footprints as possible. So she's like, I'm going to do anything I can. Um, She was also unchained on the 4th of July to go watch the fireworks with Brian and Wanda. And the next day, when Brian was talking about where his mother lived, for whatever reason, as he spoke about the area that his mother lived in, she recognized where he was talking about, and she innocently mentioned that her cousin lived there as well. She told him that her cousin was about her age, and they were best friends, because, you know, she's just, like, talking about something, you know? Right. And this was the first time that Brian didn't get mad at her for bringing up her family. Yeah, I was just about to ask about that. So a few days later, he told Elizabeth that he received a revelation and he that, and that she wasn't going to like it. He told her that the Lord told him to go forth and plunder your cousin Elizabeth to be wife number three. Her cousin's named Elizabeth? Olivia. Did I say Elizabeth? Yeah. Oh, uh, he told he said that the Lord told him to go forth and plunder your cousin Olivia to be wife number three. And Elizabeth in that moment felt absolutely terrible. Oh my God. And like she had betrayed her family. Well, she, she feels like it's her responsibility. It's like, it's not, it's not, but you know, she's just, she's like, why did I say that? You know? Cause now she put her cousin, like a target on her cousin's back, like not really realizing what she was doing but he's a crazy person. It's not her fault. (laughs) Like we, we, I think we all know that, but like it, she felt like it was, but anyway, so the day came and Brian pulled out his knife that he used to kidnap her with. And he set off to abduct Elizabeth's cousin, Olivia on July 24th, Olivia Macy woke up to lots of commotion and chaos. She heard her father on the phone with the police as he told them that someone just tried to break into their house and we are related to Elizabeth Smart. Brian attempted to cut the screen to the window of their home to get in, but luckily they had picture frames across the windowsill. So when he attempted to come in, he knocked over the picture frames and woke up Olivia's sister who alerted their parents. Ever since Elizabeth had been taken, the family had all been sleeping in their parents' bedroom, but for that but that night, for whatever reason, Olivia's older sister decided she would go back to sleep in her room and she was the one that alerted her entire family. Whoa, so, that should happen for a reason. Yeah. So when Edward Smart heard about this, he immediately alerted the Salt Lake Police Department and the intruder had, he told them the intruder had the exact same MO as the person who took Elizabeth. So they went to the home to look things over and decided to brush it off as a potential copycat. Oh, I want to smash my head into a wall right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. A I mean, potential copycat, but also the potential kidnapper. How do you rule that out? It's that also quickly? the same family. Like, why would you be like, yes. it's a potential copycat when it's the same family? Yes. Yeah. In the same geographic area? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you rule that out like that? Yeah. So there was no fingerprints or DNA evidence, nothing to really point to David Mitchell anyway. So it's not like them looking any further into that home would have really done much but uh the fact that they house yeah but the fact that they called it a copycat and we're like nope we're not we're not interested in that that's stupid in my opinion uh but this also told the police that it wasn't reesey 
because at that time he was in police custody. So I think the reason they were like so strong on being like, it's a copycat was because they wholeheartedly believed at that time that Reese was the man and it couldn't have been him because he was in custody. Oh, okay. So it's just confirmation bias. Exactly. Even though the police weren't taking this new information very seriously, it gave the Smart family hope because they believed that it meant that Elizabeth was still alive. And that gave the family the morale boost to continue to search even harder than before. At this point, it had been about 70 days since Elizabeth's abduction. And every few days, Brian would leave the camp to, quote, gather supplies, but he'd be gone all day and party and bring back a little food and water and alcohol to them. And Wanda got pissed because she had to sit at the camp all day long with Elizabeth, you know, starving and being thirsty while Brian got to go out and party. So they had a huge fight and she stormed off saying that she could leave the camp too. And when she came back, she told Brian that if he was going to leave the camp, so was she, which also meant that they would take Elizabeth with them. So Brian's solution to this was he put a white hood over their hair with a veil pinned to the front of Wanda and Elizabeth's faces so that only their eyes were showing. And he told them, or he told her, Elizabeth, that if she spoke or tried to run, he would kill her and her family. And on their hike down, they passed people who were also hiking and saw them. And she said that they would look at them, but kind of look away really fast, like they were trying not to stare, because it's quite the scene. Like, it's three people, one looking like Jesus, they're all wearing white robes, and and the wives have a veil over their face and hair, and it's like a whole thing. In the middle of the woods. In the middle of the woods, and like walking down into Salt Lake City, so it's... Is there a motorcycle parade going on this evening? (laughs) constant constant motorcycles tonight. Anyway, so they started making regular trips down into Salt Lake City. And in mid-August, around 11 weeks after her abduction, they made it on a bus and into a grocery store. There were people everywhere, and she couldn't say a thing because she wholeheartedly believed that he would kill her if she did. So any person that looked at them, which was a lot at this point because they're sticking out like a sore thumb, Elizabeth would just stare at them and beg them with their eyes for with her eyes for help. As they were checking out, the cashier told Brian that there was going to be this big party tonight and all were welcome. So they showed up to this party uh, and this was a house party with a bunch of people. And eyewitnesses from that night said that they never believed that someone who had been abducted would be showing up to a party to have a drink with them. So they weren't like on high alert. They had no idea. Why would you? Right, exactly. So they said that Salt Lake is an interesting place because you're either Mormon or you're not. And the counterculture is extremely strong. And this was a bunch of college kids and like punk scene, alternative people and like performance artists. So it's not like they were absolutely insane to be there kind of thing. And they had fire dancers in the backyard. So it was like kind of a crazy party. Elizabeth said that she was just as scared of the people at the party as she was of her captors. (laughs) Because think about Elizabeth. She's 14. She is a very sheltered, like upper class Mormon lifestyle. She has never seen someone with like thick eyeliner. You know what I mean? I don't know. The contrast is... Yeah, it's crazy. Um, And there are pictures of this party that I'll post on Instagram because it's... She, there are literally pictures of Elizabeth in a white robe at this party. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, I'm not. I'm not kidding. Wow. There, there's a lot of pictures. Yeah, they weren't bad people at the party. They were just a crowd that she had never been exposed to before. So she's absolutely terrified. And a woman at the party said that Brian Mitchell was immediately someone that wanted all of the attention on him. Which is interesting, because why would you want all the attention on you if you're capturing someone and holding them hostage and not wanting anyone to look at you? Anyway. In a rational mind, that might make sense. Right. However, this man is unhinged. And also, it all, it could be like the same thing that the people at the party thought. Like, they're not looking for somebody who's been abducted. And if you're being the center of attention, maybe that's even more disarming. Or like when a serial killer tries to be their own lawyer in court, like that kind of thing. I mean, that's obviously what it is, but that's like a secondary effect that's unintended, probably. So yeah, Brian Mitchell was drinking beers and someone gave him their homemade absinthe and he drank too much of it and they got mad at him and they wanted to kick him out. And one of the men at the party even told Elizabeth to get away from that guy because he's bad news. That's what they said. They're like, he's not a good guy. You should get away from him. And she didn't say anything all night long to anybody. 
because she would have been hurt if she was if she did um and there's like i said pictures of her so i'll i'll post them and you can see how like removed and terrified she was anyway moving on uh, after that night they made it back to camp and elizabeth was never physically chained up again interestingly enough um but what kept her there were the mental chains on day 92 the three of them went back down into salt lake to a public library and it would be winter soon so brian wanted to leave to somewhere warmer so they're, they're planning on leaving salt lake city and again she's screaming inside at the people staring at her but isn't outwardly saying a word and the three of them sit down at a table in the library and they're searching for a new place to go and wanda and brian were discussing possibly going to san diego for the winter as a homicide detective comes up to the table and informs them that he got a call that there may be a missing girl here. He asked if the woman would lift their veils so that he could see their faces to clear them. And as he's talking to Brian, Wanda had her hand clamped down on Elizabeth's leg. And Brian told the detective that it was against their faith for anyone outside of their family to see his daughter's face. He told the detective that she was innocent and only her family and her future husband could ever see her face. For so long, Elizabeth had been told, I'll kill you and your family. I can get in your house and do it because I've done it before. The threat to her was very real and she was terrified that if she spoke up and the police officer didn't believe her, she would never see the light of day again. Brian then said that if the missing girl were here, then why would she just be sitting there not saying anything? And finally, the detective walked away and left. As soon as the detective left the library, Brian told them that it was time to go. He was definitely shaken by the experience, but afterward he was incredibly proud that he had outsmarted a homicide detective and they went back to the camp where Brian told Elizabeth that she wouldn't be going back down into Salt Lake until they left Salt Lake. Had Elizabeth been rescued at the library, that would have saved her about six months of captivity. And I hate to say it, this is the end of part one. I'm leaving. <laughs> We're done. No. I'm not that laughing. That is not the end of part one. It's not funny. I'm it's vetoing it. so far from funny. Um, that is, that it's, we're a minute, and, or not a minute. We're like an hour, over an hour into this part. Uh, the next part is just as crazy, but I, you, this is the end of part Six one. Six months. I said what I said. I can't, she's right there in front of the homicide detective. Yeah. If he just would have pressed to mm -hmm. see their faces yeah i it's, get it yeah like you That's can't tough you can't go around ripping like veils off of people if it's their religion like that's not that's not okay but yes you have a missing girl who is sitting right in front of you <laughs> and yes okay so i get not wanting to be prejudiced against uh, a religion or people who wear this type of dress mm-hmm but if there was ever a time to be that to it was press a little now. harder, yeah, to press a little bit, like it was, it was now. Yeah, um, I I can say that that is highly disappointing, and I I, I knew that we weren't gonna like leaving a part one off on this this note, but there's I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you did. If you were going for a cliffhanger, I was. You you did great. I was, but also like this is a the clear like middle, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, no, the whole time I'm like I'm like very invested. Yeah. Right, but I knew in the back of my mind that this is part one, and I'm like, right, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a really horrible story. I mean, Elizabeth Smart herself is one of the most incredible people ever like she like in the survivor world especially like she is of the top people that like are super influential and like uh, inspiring and i mean a lot of people obviously i'm not saying that the other ones are are less inspiring but she has done like a lot for the community and she's incredible and we're going to talk about that in part two and i mean this is a highly requested story for a reason you know like she is like her story is one of the craziest out there what a crazy story i don't know how to it's just this is part one come back for part two yeah. next week uh it's it's gonna be just as crazy what's your good thing oh yeah what's my good thing um i guess my good thing is i've really enjoyed bo burnham's new special inside it's so good i mean i've i've been a fan of his for so long and this one was just really he really he hit it you know what i mean yeah and i i can't stop listening to it on spotify uh and i just 
I think it's really good. I think it's a really good special. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Like, you're missing out. 100%. Yeah. Like, I also really enjoyed it. Also a big fan of Bo Burnham. But, I don't know, this, like, there's not, there's really not a song from that special that's bad. No, it's and incredible. It's so rare of any album. Mm-hmm. But, like, also of, like, what he does because it's just in my opinion, pretty unique. It is. It's like kind of stand-up comedy, but it's like a performance. Yeah. He's like very musically talented. Yeah. He's... And like for all of those things to intersect into one person mm-hmm. is like so rare. Yeah. He's in- extremely that's, talented. That's what he is. Yeah. I can't recommend it enough either. Yeah. Hell so, yeah. What's your good thing? Kick flipping off of that. Right. I dislocated my shoulder about a week ago. Oh yeah. Um, It is something that I do not recommend for the <laughs> record. Don't do that. Yeah. If you can manage it, don't try and do it. But it's happened to me a lot of times for the same shoulder. And, you know, once it happens once, it, like, continues to happen. However, I was in a sling the past week, and a couple days ago I got out of it, and I can move it again, and I'm kind of back to normal. I mean, it's still a little painful, but I'm very happy to be out of the sling. Because I hate that thing. Yeah. But... That is my good thing. That's great. I can now move my left arm. We love that for you. Once again. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you come back for part two to finish off this crazy story. Uh, If you'd like to look at all the pictures that I post about the cases that we talk about, follow us on Instagram at not today underscore podcast. If you have a story that you'd like to recommend or a story of your own that you want to write in your own words and potentially have read on the podcast, send us in an email at notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok at not today podcast, Twitter, not today podcast with a T at the end of podcast is a three and just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.